Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rollin' Bones, where we make old school young again. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard. I am the R in OSR, and joining us this evening is someone you should definitely be following on Twitter. His takes are always great to see. Uh, you can see him on Natural Ones, usually on Tuesdays right before the show with Victor Gorchev. Uh, if you guys have interacted with him online, you already know that he's brilliant. Uh, a real-life uh, shooter... A hooker, if you will, if you know the terminology. But ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Crossface to Rolling Bones. Hey, thank you. I, you know, actually, that was probably one of the better introductions anybody's ever given me. Um, I didn't even get a best men speech at my wedding, so thank you. <laughs> no problem at all. I love giving people um, solid introductions here. Yeah, it was very good. I didn't expect any of that, actually. That was really good. Um, you know... I've watched your show before I even interacted with you a while ago. Uh, it was you, inter- you interviewed Tulanian over mm-hmm. Hyperborea. Yeah. Um, you know, that was really cool. Um, they, at the time, no one was really interviewing him when I watched that. So that was pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, I was already kind of like a fan, minor fan of the show before I ever interacted with you. So Sweet. I'm, I'm glad to hear yeah. it. And especially when it comes to, to Jeff Tulanian, because, I mean, he's brilliant, too. Uh, Hyperborea is a fantastic game. I love that guy. He's he's amazing. Yeah, what he's done with uh, Hyperborea, um, you know, actually kind of ties into a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. But, you know, Hyperborea, I think, is a game that's, like, very fine-tuned, and it, it really hits a lot of notes that I think, for me particularly, I really enjoy the game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Absolutely. Well, we're going to kick this off the way we always kick this off. I've got questions that everyone gets asked when they come on Rolling Bones, so let's begin here at the beginning. How did you get into role-playing games? Oh, man. Um, specifically role-playing games, if we're going to take away all the video game stuff. Um, I used to go to like bookstores, and uh, so I was never allowed to play Dungeons & Dragons or even entertain Dungeons & Dragons as a kid um if i ever had like graph paper and i tried to even draw out a map my dad was like don't do that so um (laughs) specifically like i would go into like borders or something like that and at the time it was like third edition books and i would just kind of like window shop and look at them and uh so that kind of and as soon as i become like old enough to kind of start doing my own thing um around the time fourth edition came out Uh, so i bought fourth edition and didn't play that much because the my friends at the time were like uh, they don't they didn't like the changes they didn't want to play the game so we only played a little bit um and then whenever fifth edition changed over i just kind of started playing a ton so 
um, that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Like I didn't really have a long storied history of playing when I was a kid because I wasn't allowed. <laughs> pretty much it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I transitioned my love of gaming from you know after fifth edition, and that's the reason actually I got into all the you know older games is because after fifth edition came out, I um, we played it a lot, but like there was always something that was kind of like missing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I started looking at all this other stuff, and actually that's why I've I've actually kind of had a longer stint playing older games than I had playing fifth edition, honestly, because I just I transitioned pretty quickly. Um, we did play a ton of fifth edition, but mm-hmm. I, I quickly was like, this is something that I need something different. I don't know. So, yeah. uh, Shoner, when you schedule a stream on YouTube, I'm sure you know this. You've done this before. You have you only get 10 minute increments. I'd like to set the start time as 750, but that's too early and then I start streaming late. So you know I, I don't really have a lot of options. I put eight o'clock because that's when the stream goes live. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. It's just it, it's, I don't know anything about that. It's a four minute countdown. I'm sorry. <laughs> what can I do? Anyway, um, sorry that that kind of stuff just that you're good. It's it's, it's one of those things like uh, like uh, Bobby Boucher, the the medulla oblongata, just mm-hmm. uh, just bothers me. <laughs> but so yeah, that was pretty much it for me. That was my in, that was my introduction. I mean, I played um, I played like. If you want to consider video games, like obviously, like the uh, Link to the Past and Super Nintendo, um, mm-hmm. Morrowind on the Xbox, uh, that was like the most influential, probably two that I can remember off the top of my head, like Fable on the Xbox, stuff like that. Yeah, 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 and I mean, like you're just a couple years older than me, so for for people of our generation, a lot of our introduction to RPGs is through games like fable i mm-hmm. i had a playstation not an xbox so i didn't play fable but i knew a lot of people who did um skyrim was huge when i was in high school mm-hmm. that that's where a lot of us kind of enter the role-playing uh field is through role-playing video games yeah for sure um you know i'm even i'm not even a big video game head or anything like that but just i just remember the first time i played like morrowind or the first time i played link to the past and i remember um in super nintendo like when you yank the sword out of the when you get the master sword and stuff changes when you go to the future and link to the past and yeah. just just different things like i don't know just was really impactful to me and um I, sometimes i try to like i carry that over to D D as best i can to try to like have impactful moments without forcing them mm-hmm. you know so yeah now um the next question i want to ask you before we get into tonight's topic just I, I like to get everyone's take on this because you know we we do this because we love it there's not a lot mm-hmm. of money in role playing so we do it no. out of a uh a love for the game, and that comes from fond memories. So I, I know this is a hard question for a lot of people, but Crossface, if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? Oh my good lord! Um, you know, honestly, I just 
just because it's fresh, just because it's fresh, I'm going to talk about this. Um, I'm running the a run a D and D club for the local high school now. Mm-hmm. And w- whenever I put them in tough moments, not on purpose, uh, just because I'm running the game as it should be ran. Sometimes tough moments happen. And whenever those kids roll and we roll in the open. So whenever those kids roll on those desks and the hits and the, and the dice clanks and it hits a 20 and I see <laughs> just the pure joy in these kids faces and they jump and scream like it's a movie and stuff. Like, honestly, that's probably the peak. I don't think there's anything more than that that you could really want to have out of a game. It's mm. just peak joy of like a junior high kid. I don't know. That's that's probably what my top moment is, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it's always fun to watch people experience that for the first time. Just that yeah. sensation of oh, natural twenty. Mm-hmm. Well, it's specifically in it's. I guess it's specifically in dire moments. Um, this one time. This kid is his first game. I told the story on one shots, but it's worth telling. It was his first game. He's playing a paladin. They go up against this um, snake guardian statue thing, and they shouldn't have been fighting it, but they pushed forward and fought it anyway. Mm-hmm. This kid is smacked down. Everybody's making death saves because everybody got smacked. Like it, they shouldn't have been fighting this thing. So everybody's rolling on the table. They're making death saves. And this one kid who's playing the Paladin, first time he's ever played, he rolls a 20. And then in 5th edition, when you roll a 20, you pop back up with 1 HP. Yep. Pops back up with 1 HP. So whenever they're making their death saves, I made the mistake, because I thought they were all dead. I made the mistake of telling them that. They think, I was like, you had you had them down to like 9 HP. I think that's what I told them. And they're like, oh man. And then he rolls a natural 20, and they freak out. And he gets up, and he looks around. It's his first time he's played, so he's like, what should I do? And the other kids are like, charge it and kill it. It's only got nine HP. <laughs> so he charges it and kills it. And so I re-roll initiative. He wins he wins initiative. He hits it seven HP down. So he's they got two HP left. Mm-hmm. The snake turns to him. Roll, and I roll new, I don't do a DM screen. I roll, I do a natural twenty. <laughs> and the snake hits him and does double his max health damage. So mm-hmm. instant death. Oh. <laughs> and he's like, oh. I'm like, yeah, you really thought you had the movie moment, man. He's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just stuff like that. It's like really good memories just because the kids, like, you know, first time playing and he had a moment like that. I don't know. You can't really. That's the peak. I pretty much told him there's no there's no going up from here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you'll only ever match this moment. You'll never exceed it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> if he would have killed the thing, maybe if you were able to roll another 20, yeah. he'd been the hero for life. But, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or even if he'd like put a smite into it, he might have been able to to overcome. Yeah, that, he was level but, one, so yeah. they get that at level two. Mm-hmm. So he was just like, yeah, that would have been really cool. He he has done a smite and got critical uh, damage <laughs> before on smites and stuff since because he rerolled another paladin after he died. Mm-hmm. Um, he's playing his character's son. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's the way to go. Yeah, so like some of the st- some stuff like that, you know, because playing with these kids like. Playing playing with your adult friends sometimes they're kind of jaded and it's not it's mm-hmm. you still have fun and it's a good time but it's like it's a little different but playing with these kids who've never played before you 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 really hit the nail on the head there like seeing these people experience things for the first time and with such joy and stuff like I think that's the peak for gaming for me yeah absolutely yeah. well uh, 
Unfortunately, we now have to move on to some stuff that's uh, uh, some stupidity because mm. uh, as the title of this episode, which uh, I, I'd just like to take a minute to pat myself on the back for thinking of calling this episode Tuesday Night Raw. Oh, that's sweet. So, <laughs> that, that's really cool. That's where we're at tonight uh, because one of the tweets that y- I, you, first of all, let me back up a little bit. You have an excellent Twitter. The the way that you use Twitter, I, I I love it because you're always posting just really cool looking medieval art. There's all kinds of great content that I see just kind of cross your Twitter feed. Uh, and one of the things that you kind of started a fight over was mm-hmm. this concept of running games not even necessarily rules as written, but just with a knowledge of the rules and the structure of the game. And somehow this has become a controversial issue in gaming. So uh, tell us a little bit about that side of things and, and how that kind of blew up in your, your face or or not necessarily blew up in your face, but how that caused a, an argument on, on Twitter. So I guess, I mean, that specific... That specific moment, okay, I think I remember that. That specific <laughs> moment, because um, this has been this has a, been an ongoing thing with me. But yeah. that one specific last time, um, it was a meme that the you know there's D and D meme pages, and some of them are good memes pages, and some of them aren't. This one, I don't know if it's a good one or not, but I happened to see this thing, and it was like the secret, the truth of all D and whatever, and they open it up, and it says just make it up, and I'm like. That's really bad advice because if you want to be good at making a game last or if you want to be good at something, you don't just make it up. Um, you 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 try to you read and you try to implement what you learned and then you don't always hit it out of the park every time and you're not perfect every time. But you go in and you try to do your best. You move the game forward. Then you go back, you reread, you relearn, and then you go back to the table with better knowledge. And basically, all I was trying to say is, this is bad advice. Don't just make everything up, you know. Try to learn and get better over time, and then you'll run a better game. And that's pretty much the gist of what I said. And, uh, man, I got called a gatekeeper. It was like a big deal. Actually, there was a game designer for that does uh, World of Darkness stuff. (laughs) Of course. He's like, as a game, yeah, as a game designer of x amount of years and all these books behind you yeah behind me and all this stuff he said this isn't crossfit just make it up and i'm like bro i don't even do crossfit <laughs> i'm sorry it's like what are you trying to say i'm i'm in shape and i like to work out like oh man sick burn uh, but like i was like what does this have to do with anything and so i got called a gatekeeper by some other kid Man, it blew up, and I, I don't even know why it blew up, like you said, because I'm kind of I'm kind of in the I'm baffled too. Mm-hmm. But basically, I think honestly, I honestly I don't even really know. I think it has to do with how people just kind of like view or just run their lives in general. Like some people just don't want to do things uh, the way that other people tell them to do it. They just want to do things their own way, and they think if you are telling them to do things some other way, that you're a bad person and I don't know. I pretty much think that's the gist of it. But essentially, if I told you, hey, when you play the board game, sorry, it doesn't have Monopoly money. You would be like, screw you, man. I'm going to play Monopoly money when I play the board game, sorry. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, you okay? <laughs> like, that's pretty much what I got from that. Yeah. Yeah, and at the expense of sounding pretentious two episodes in a row, I want to read a quote here. Um, this is a quote from G.K. Chesterton, uh, specifically his 1929 book, The Thing, uh, which does not have anything to do with clobber in time, unfortunately, but... Uh, This is a very appropriate quote to what we're talking about here, so uh, if you'll allow me just a a couple Mm -hmm. minutes here. There exists in such a case certain institution or law, let us say for the sake of simplicity, a fence or gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes gaily up to it and says, I don't see the use of this, let us clear it away to which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, if you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then, when you can come back and tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. Yeah, I feel that. I understand. That's actually very appropriate. Very appropriate. Uh, I haven't. I did not know about that quote. That is very appropriate. Um, there's this, So, we were talking briefly before we went live here that, you know, I used to do uh, martial arts and wrestling and different things. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, it's a similar, similar thing in martial arts and MMA and stuff and jujitsu, whatever, that there will be people who don't know that they are ignorant. Mm-hmm. And I use that term dictionarily ignorant. Like they just don't know what they don't know. And they'll do a thing and they'll say, I invented X or I did this, or this is a good thing. And I'm not going to listen to what the coach told me to do here because I did this thing instead and it's better. But they they don't know why that thing is there in the first place that the coach is trying to tell them to, to do. So it, you can apply that same concept to gaming. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of modern gamers who came into the game in the past five years. And they'll go to a game like uh, OSE. And they'll say, okay, I like playing OSE, except I don't like this one thing about it. I'm going to do this instead. Meanwhile, they've never even tried to play the game in the first place the way it was supposed to be played. Yeah. So they're trying to change something that they don't even have the um, rank to really change. Like That's not the right word, but they don't have the experience. Mm-hmm. So in wrestling, one of my coaches in the past... Um, I think I was tore up over something on the line or something. Maybe somebody was trying to run my team down. I can't remember. But he said, whenever somebody says something critical, you should ask yourself, what have they won or who have they coached? Has people they coached, have they won anything or not? So basically in that same, if you can apply that same thought process to gaming, mm-hmm. you, you would say, who is this person criticizing this game? What have they done? Yeah. Have they even played the game long enough to even know left or right? right? Um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the 99% of the time, they haven't done anything. And for whatever reason, there's this phenomenon in gaming, and D&D gaming, where it's like people want to make up these new mechanics or these new way to do things, and they're trying to fix something that don't need fixed. Yeah. Um, and they just, they should, they would actually, if they go, like, to go back and reference your Quote, if they would go away, think about it for a while, experience it, yeah. then come back with the knowledge, they might be 
able to see why it's useful for in the first place, or at least at that point, they'll be more educated about why they don't like it. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. one of those, it's one of these things, um, one of the biggest consequences of modern, the, the modern popularity of role-playing games is there are a lot of people who want to be a part of the conversation. They want to talk about gaming, but they don't actually ever play the game. They're the the debutantes mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. or dilettantes, rather, of uh, uh, role-playing games. And so there's a lot of RPG theoreticians out there that don't have a lot of practical experience actually rolling dice, actually running games, and even the ones that do don't have a lot of experience running games beyond the standard six sessions that we hear uh, so much about being the average for modern campaign lengths. So when it comes to that, a lot of these mechanics that they're complaining about, they've never had a chance to actually use in a real table situation. It's just something that they're not understanding, that's not clicking with them in their minds, that they haven't actually tried to dissect, tried to go through, tried to understand why the mechanic exists in this game the way that it does. And so they just go, we're going to throw that out and, you know, just kind of make stuff up to go along with yes. it, which they, we'll get into some of the, you know, kind of other side of this conversation in a little bit. But when you're doing that as someone who hasn't run a lot of games, you're inevitably going to end up in a situation where you have to continuously break your game, uh, ruling by ruling, as you kind of work around this uh, slapdash system that you erected in place of something that a game designer with experience, who's actually run this game for people at a table, set up themselves without trying to understand why their thought process took them to this particular uh, mechanic as being the the one most appropriate to this game. Yes, actually, you're kind of speaking my language. Um, this is actually something I rant about a lot on one shots. I know that you do a show right after me and Victor's <laughs> show, so you don't yeah. get to see it. But I rant about this specific topic quite a bit. The fact that people do not run games enough, mm-hmm. and ninety percent of people's problems with gaming or whatever it it just it gets solved if they just play more game, like it will work itself out like the, this OGL stuff. And I, we're not going to talk about that, but the fact that like, you know, there was a big deal and it was a big deal. I don't, you know, screw wizards, still screw wizards, still, you know, whatever, but don't let them take away the game from you. Just because wizards try to screw you over. doesn't mean you need to stop playing fifth edition because that's your home game. Now, all of a sudden, like you don't want to play anymore because they did like, no, that it, the way through that is just to still play more games. Yeah. Like if you, t- if you let them take away your ability to run games at your house, they won. So a lot of people, for whatever reason, like you said, they want to, there's like, there's like two or three different people who are like online personalized with D The one that I like the most is the people who talk about the games they run and they report back what they found from running games uh, there, but the other side of that is normally people are just theorizing or they might play two games. And since they played two games of this one system, but they ran it this way, they like that way better. And they think you should do that too. It's like, who are you, man? Like, like, hmm. don't tell me to change something about my game just because you think it's cool. Like who, what have you done significantly in gaming to tell me how to run my game at my table? Just because I'm running it rules is written. You think that's lame. 
uh, and you need to tell me about it. Like that's happened so much when I tell people that I run games, the rules is written. They're like, yeah, but or you could run it like this because it's stupid to run it rules is written. I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. So that happens so much. Crafty in chat here brings up a, a good point. He says the modern gamer is one of these, a failed writer, a failed actor, a failed artist. And, and yeah, I mean, I, you run across all of, all three types, uh, whatever actual play you watch or, you know, what whoever you encounter on Twitter, uh, inevitably you find someone who's kind of a, like, you know, quote-unquote fantasy writer of some description who... Um, ha- might have like one ebook online that's you know if, if you look into it it's not really all that good or you know they they post all kinds of just like crappy uh pseudo anime style character art on their twitter or you know something like that they they really want to be uh a movie star or a voice actor and and you know they inflict all of their worst character ideas on their fellow players at their table you you run into all types of these people and and it's you know you see this in every industry the people with the most ignorant opinions on uh like music are crappy musicians uh in the martial arts world you see people with all kinds of just terrible takes on stuff uh like on on mma fights who are you know Mm. They've never thrown a punch. They've never thrown a kick. Uh, they probably can't even do a push-up, a lot of these people who are mm-hmm. you know, saying some of the most loud but ignorant stuff about you know what pick an MMA fighter is doing. Uh, you, know, you see the same thing in pro wrestling uh, mm-hmm. as well. But it, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of talkers. It's not a lot of doers because doers, yep. if they disagree— they're just going to disagree and do their own thing. And if they're correct, their thing's going to be more successful, mm-hmm. probably. So, you know, I feel like that's a lot of what this discourse is, is a lot of people who have failed at doing stuff just arguing back and forth with each other. Yeah, I ignore most of it. That's actually something that I'm just kind of venting it out on a new podcast. But that's like I said, I talk about this a lot with Victor. Mm-hmm. Um, they're... Another one that you see is that the cosplayer. Um, there's a lot of cosplayers who think they're authorities on D and D. There, and a lot of it is because of the critical role. I hate bashing critical role too much. It's not that I enjoy that what they do, but I just I, I think it's just like a, a cliche to bash them at this point. Mm-hmm. But the people who want to copy them are like, I can't find a good. You can't find good actual plays online because everybody just wants to be critical role because they do want to be voice actors. They want to be actual actors. Like, man, they did a so they did the um, resurgence of G4 TV. Yeah, like two years ago, whatever it was, yeah. last year, and they had an actual play of D and D on the show or on on the whatever maybe their YouTube, and it was going to be like live acting and. I turned it on the first episode and it was just like these people standing in the middle of the stage and they were acting out what their characters were doing back and forth. And it was almost like, um, whose line is it anyway? Except like not comedy. It was, it was (laughs) like, what is this? And I just turned it off after five minutes and I was just like, I just can never watch an actual play of D and D ever again. It's Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) it's just, it's ruined for me. Yep. Yeah. But one of the things, Oh, sorry, go go ahead. ahead. Uh, I was just saying that's the thing is like when people 
watch D&D or they think about D&D and they come into the game, that's the first thing they see. It's on G4 TV. So, of course, that's what D&D is. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's not what it is. Like, you know, and then so I'm I'm usually on the other end of things. And then I say things like, hey, guys, play the game, the game itself. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Just play the game. And then all these cosplayers and all these failed actors and stuff, they get so upset. And then they just put you on a blockchain. And then, you know, you're blocked by a million people because you told them just to play the game. You know? Yeah. And, and Crafty points this out in chat. And you've already uh, hinted at this as well. But part of the reason why these people are failures is they have not comprehended the the actual rules of uh you know acting or art or fantasy writing or whatever it is but especially in the world of role playing they have not comprehended the rules of the games that they're trying to play mm-hmm. but they still want to participate because it's something that's popular so mm-hmm. They are breaking things apart and kind of rebuilding them to fit their uh, strengths in heavy air quotes Mm -hmm. for those of you who are listening to this rather than watching it. And if they want to do that themselves and they're actually having fun doing it just kind of by themselves, that's fine. But they're they're not doing that. They're Mm -hmm. then coming to people like me or like Crossface or like the basic expert and saying that because we insist on actually maintaining the structure that's supposed to be present in these role-playing games that are games, they, the game part's important. You have to have rules. Because we insist that games have to have rules, we're somehow wrong. Or we're, you know, they, they want to throw around the word gatekeeper like it's a bad thing. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And... and yeah, you know, I, I know you have no patience for these people anymore. I'm to the point now. I have no patience for the, for this anymore. If you don't want to play the rules, then you're not going to play the game. You're just playing pretend with your friends. You might as well be on the playground playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, correct. And you know, actually, um, I was just actually I had this thought today um, that you know I played. I used to play Magic the Gathering, not like competitively or anything, but like enough that I kept up with a lot of stuff and. There, there's actions and things that you can play in that card game that you have to know how the rules interact with one another because that is a competitive one versus one card game where it's still like you're doing, you're interacting with the rules themselves to create something. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't like, I don't like munchkining like munchkin stuff within Fifth Edition or Three Point Five or Pathfinder where you where you mold the rules into becoming this superhero at level one. I I think that is a totally different conversation, but I think that's a failure of modern gaming in my opinion Mm -hmm. uh, that allows that. Um, But anyway, I think that if you take that same mindset and you apply it to a game like rule cyclopedia, old school essentials, hyperborea, and you take that mindset about knowing the rules, knowing how they interact and then uh, interacting with the game world, if you take that same mindset and play the game that way, I think you think that's pretty much like you can ex- basically just the same way you become a better card player, a game player with Magic the Gathering, you can become a better player in the game. And that way, actually, you will challenge your DM or you'll challenge your other players to become better as well because you guys are playing so regularly. And then at that point, you're having such a high level of a game as like, you can have stories like you actually have stories of like 
this weird thing happening or that that at that point you're going to have such high level interaction in the game itself that you're going to have like you're playing basically that's it's it's the it's the opposite of the rule of cool and and all this critical role stuff and that's basically why i don't like that stuff is because it is just so hand wavy and it's like yeah when i talk to like normies out in real world who just like they watch like youtube videos like these crazy i heard this one story about this happening in D D game and it's always like the weirdest stuff like I was playing as a vampire, and I had an eye patch on, and had a mirror in the eye patch, so I could see behind me. Like that's uh, the silliness. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, just random stuff. And it's just, it's basically two completely different games at that point. Like, you have some people who just want to play act, like we were talking about, mm-hmm. and then you have other people who want to play a game. So, yeah. you know, that's pretty much why I am so heavy into wanting to play by the rules because I think that. I don't first off my time's valuable and then uh, second off like i just i want to play a game i don't want to play acting if i wanted to play whose line is it anyway i could just like go grab a beer and hang out with my friends at that yeah. point yeah you know <laughs> yeah and again uh you know crafty crafty's on fire tonight with his uh you know saying points before we get around to them um the thing, the reason why the rules are so important is structure creates this atmosphere where you have to creatively think, how do I overcome this problem within the given circumstances that I have that are these rules? So a lot of modern creatives, and you see this the best example of this, in my opinion, is when you watch a show that was previously on regular TV that has had a streaming revival. On regular mm. TV, there are restrictions, there are rules, there's commercial breaks that you have to work around uh, with the structure of your episodes, there are certain time slots you have to fit in, and there are content restrictions on what you can and cannot do on network or cable TV. You see a lot of shows that had to work within those boundaries and they created something brilliant. Then they're brought over onto a streaming service where there's no time slot restrictions, there's no minimum number of episodes you have to deliver, and there's no restrictions on content, and things start to fall apart creatively, and it's not the same show that you remember. That's because those rules were making the writers exercise their creative muscles more than just saying, no, you can do whatever you want. That's mm-hmm. why rules are important, because they create situations where players go, all right, I can't do this, this, or this. What can I do to overcome this problem? And that's where you get into role-playing games actually challenging the mind of the player rather than the sheet that they have mm-hmm. in front of them. Because then you have to work in tandem with the rules to create a solution uh, that, you know, basically allows your character to, to fight another day. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I've actually been one of my favorite things to tell players um, that I haven't played with a lot that I just start playing. Like, cause I've actually, I run a lot of tables strangely enough. Like, I don't know why, but I have a lot of different circles that I used to run in and they, they all are a little separate, but I run D and D for all of them. I, I think I've counted since like 2018, I've introduced like 25 people to playing D and D. Yeah. Um, and it's just all separate tables. And, um, 
one of the things I tell the players is that I don't play toward your care. I don't run games towards your characters. I actually just kind of run games toward you. Like, so I'm going to put you in a situation where you have to use your brain. That's basically what I'm trying to get at. Like, even just going back to the story I talked about the kids, about when the guy rolled a 20, he popped up and he looked around and he said, what do I do? <laughs> and that was a moment where he had to figure out what he wanted to do, not yeah. what his character would have done. He was wondering, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And that is really what it comes down to, in my opinion. The, the big difference between like what the modern gamer expects out of 5th edition versus what the old school gamers expect is that like you're saying, one is more challenging the player to use their brain, figure out situ- the ways around the situation. And a lot of the modern gamer is like, what button do I push on my character sheet to win the situation? Yeah. Which is a completely different thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's why lethality in role-playing games is so important at early levels, mm-hmm. because it's like, I, I've made this comparison several times. It's like Dark Sun or Dark Souls, not Dark Sun. Mm-hmm. Dark Souls. You die a lot early on because you're learning how to not die. Mm-hmm. And so For then, sure. I just it, you know, eventually you you get that character build that you want, and you don't make all the stupid mistakes that you made up until this point, and then you actually get to advance and see all the great things that the game has to offer. So then, just to run with this analogy, because I haven't actually played Dark Souls, but I'm, I'm peripherally aware enough to know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But to run with this analogy, imagine there was a nerfed mode of Dark Souls. And you would go online, and you were like, man, I really love Dark Souls. And then all these players who played only on the nerf mode were like, yeah, man, I beat Dark Souls in like six hours, easy peasy, easy clap, no deaths. And then you're like, bro, no, I actually played real Dark Souls. <laughs> you know, like we're not talking about the nerf Dark Souls here. Yeah. So that's how I feel the majority of the time that I talk about D&D online or not anymore because I've kind of cultivated a good group of people. But mm-hmm. just with the regular crowd of D&D in general, especially in real life or just the normie crowd, if someone learns I play D&D, they're like, oh, X, blah, blah, blah. I'm always just like, yeah, but you didn't really you kind of just you had a DM that just wanted you to see you jump across a 30 foot chasm and you rolled a 20 and you did like the splits when you got over there and you stabbed the monster in the gut and won the, you know, it's like cool, man, the DM let you do that, but that's not how things really work, you know? Right. You know, now on a kind of on the other side of rules as written, um, Mm -hmm. I kind of want to talk about some of the, the benefits of, you know, running a little bit more of a, a loose game because when we first kind of interacted with each other, uh, I, I remember our our first interactions not being like contentious, but we disagreed a little bit because, mm. and this, I will say from my end, it was purely because I misunderstood what you were saying and I had mm. to actually uh, like dig into what you were saying and realize, okay, yeah, we actually do agree with each other. We're just saying it differently. Um, I think it's healthy for a GM to be essentially the final authority on what does or does not happen at the table rather than necessarily the rule book. So it's ultimately down to the ruling of the GM and the systems that the GM wants to use. That said, 
before you start going, okay, we're going to play D&D, but we're going to use this mechanic from Earth Dawn, and we're going to use uh, this mechanic from Rule Cyclopedia, but we're not playing Rule Cyclopedia, we're playing 5e. We're going to use this mechanic from OSE. Before you do that, you have to understand how 5th edition D&D works, and then start seeing if, okay, well, I don't like how it does this, if I slot in Weapon Mastery from Rule Cyclopedia instead of what this has here, is that going to, you know, break anything in the 5e rule set? And if the answer is yes, then you probably should just play Rule Cyclopedia. If the answer is no, then go ahead and add it in. Would you agree that that's kind of a good way to approach things? Okay, so I guess, okay, let me see. It really depends on how long the DM and the group have played together for one. Yeah. If they've played together for a really long time and you guys have already given it, given it a good go to play this system and you gave it a good go to play this system, you've tried to actually play these systems and not just be like, oh, we're playing OSE, but actually we're going to play uh, 5th Edition Initiative and actually we're going to do the death saves from 5th Edition, but we're playing OSE. Um, you know, like, I think... So the problem is with the problem is with the DM being the final say. And I do agree that the DM has the final say. Mm -hmm. The problem is with that being an understood norm is that you're going to get crappy DMs that yeah. are just egotistical narcissists mm -hmm. that will that like they're the opposite of the rules lawyers. Like yeah. they're like the rules lawyers that became DMs and they're <laughs> like, well, I'm the DM and I have the ultimate say here. So, mm -hmm. meh. and like, so the thing is, is like, so say I'm a player and the DM has that mentality, but I'm going into this situation where I have to know the structure of what I'm to, if I'm playing in a challenging game and I know the structure, I'm going to make, I'm going to make risky calls on how my character is going to advance and I might die and I'm going to accept that, yeah. but say I know the structure and I do the thing and I do it right. And I know that I did it right. Hmm. And the DM's like, nah, you didn't do it right. At that moment, that's, that's bad. Yeah. It, that I sets agree. a crappy precedent moving forward. Hmm. And the problem is with the DM having the final say as well is that there's so much bias that can happen they might their girlfriend might be playing at the table and they always let the girlfriend slide but <laughs> they don't let this person slide hmm. and then also i'm i'm telling you where the worst case scenario oh yeah yeah um also those kind of dms also tend to play with the screens and also tend to fudge roles um yeah this actually goes to a video that i just watched the other day and I I I don't hate watch much, but I do hate watch this one YouTuber. And, <laughs> Is it XP to and, level three? Yeah. Yes. Actually. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and so I watched that. I watched him the other day, and I haven't watched him for a minute. But every once in a while, I'm at home by myself. It's very rare I'm home by myself. But I'm like, I'm going to watch XP to level three. <laughs> and so I I go to his uh, YouTube, and he's he has this YouTube like how to be a giga chad dm or something like that yep and at the very end of the at the very end of that episode he's like do you really want to know how much x or how much hp the boss had and they're like yeah i want to know he's like it's going to change everything 
And then he's like, I just, I don't even count HP when it comes to bosses. I just let people do all their cool stuff. And then after I feel like everybody got a good shot in and they do the cool stuff, then the boss fight's over. But you can't let it change anything. I'll see you next week. And I'm like, this is the cringiest thing. And so that's pretty much, that is the worst case scenarios. Hmm. However, the reason I'm so against, I say, I say provocative stuff. Yeah. The reason I say that is because I challenge people to think about it. Um, but the reason I'm so against the, the culture of the DM having the final say is because in modern gaming culture, they're going to watch XP to level three and they're going to be like, man, the boss monsters, they don't even need to have HP. You just let the <laughs> players do the cool thing yeah. and then they win. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that's not it. You know, so yeah. that is where I'm coming from. Mm. Um, and I only briefly remember our interaction, actually, <laughs> that you mentioned this, uh, but I do remember it. I don't mm. remember the exact context. Um but that is the spirit of where I was coming from, is, yeah. is talking about the XP level three people who don't even have HP for monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of that, I feel like, comes down to, uh, again, it's a cliche at this point, but with, with GMs, it's the Spider-Man rule. With great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that responsibility uh, that, that comes along with being the ultimate arbiter of the, the game world and, you know, you have the final say in what happens... Uh, that responsibility is to treat your players fairly so that if they mm-hmm. haven't violated the rules of everything they've done, you know, fits within the framework of the game you're playing, uh, there's no reason to make a judgment against them. And also to treat your players, um, you know, treat everyone the same way. Don't have different standards for different players. Uh, you know, treat everyone the same way. Be consistent with your rulings and know the rules of the game that you're playing and be consistent with the rules that you're playing. So if you have a situation where you've grafted, uh, you know, just as an example, the the one that you use, the death save system from OS from a uh, 5e onto OSE, along with you know weapon mastery from Rule Cyclopedia and you know other mechanics. Make sure your players before the game even starts know. These are the rules that we're playing with. Here's, you know, the the reference material that you need to work within this particular rule set and know that I will be arbitrating the rules based on these documents here that I provided for you. So, uh, again, I I do think we agree with this. It's just uh, you have to, as a GM, and this is... I harp a lot on players doing stupid things, so this is going to be me harping on GMs doing stupid things here for a little bit. You have to take that responsibility on if you're going to essentially be the god of your campaign world, as uh, you know, people like Alex McCreese like to say that you know you're the arbiter of worlds. It's not all power. There's responsibility that comes with it, so you have to, you know, take on the fact that GMs have the most work to do and have to know the rules inside and out. That's that's the game. That's the, what mm-hmm. you've agreed to do when you agree to GM. So mm-hmm. that, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right that so many GMs just you know think about the power aspect of whatever I say goes without thinking of that means I have to be fair in my rulings and have to know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so like so to kind of like scale this back um, to to your side and to agree with what you're saying here is that there has been situations where in the moment 
um, I wasn't for, you know, in the moment, you're not for sure what the rule is. And then, mm -hmm. you know, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. You got to go back and learn what that stuff is after the game. But in the moment, if you don't know what the, the, the rule is, just make a ruling. Unless it's yeah. like a super crucial moment when everybody's cool to take a pause for like one minute. I know it's a big like no no to look at the books when at the table, but I th I'm going to be controversial and say it's okay in crucial moments to be like, hey guys, let's pause for a second, let's look up the actual rule, yeah, and then we're going to move forward because this is a crucial moment. And I just want to get this right. It's okay to do that. Um, I do actually I do it a lot. I'm very transparent with my players on like, hey, if we want to do this right, and this is going to be a big moment, so I want to make sure that I get splash damage of this molotov cocktail correct you know you might wipe out a whole goblin gang you know so i want to make sure we get this right um and then the my players are actually very cool with that they're like yeah i want to know if i did it right or not hmm. and so if you have a culture from the very beginning of being like hey i'm going to try to be the master of the rules but i'm not going to know everything and sometimes we're going to look it up and also, I want you guys to know the rules as well because it helps me out whenever I don't know exactly what's going on to to make the game flow better. Um, but I was in a situation in this uh, high school D&D club early on where the this guy showed up. He's an older brother of one of the other players, and he pretty much tried to run. He was a DM. that He was actually probably like a DM that we're talking about. But he wasn't like, he was like 15 or 16. Yeah. And he basically is like, oh, I thought I was going to DM today. But he sat down, he made a character real fast at my table. And he's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do that. And he was like trying to tell me how to DM. And I was like, at that moment, I was like, I pulled my uh, Rolling Bones with Ryan the <laughs> hat, put that hat on. I was like, no, nah, I'm the DM here, man. What I say goes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, every once in a while, you have to take authority of the table because you can't let a uh, especially a kid, but you can't let a new player just run the table for you. Right. You got to be like, listen, I don't care that you think you know what these rules are. This is what we're going to do right now because this is my table. Hmm. Um, but like I said, if you've been playing together for a really long time, it's a whole different st situation. You'll never have that really happen. But playing these open tables where you don't, you're just playing with strangers, like you have to command that authority because if the players are going to show up and run over you, that you'll never get the respect of the other players. So you have right. to command the respect and then scale it back and let the players have a good time. You know? mm. So Now the, the other issue that I feel like a lot of players run into with modern games, as far as rules as written goes, um, when you have so many different books out there, all filled with different kinds of rules and different things, that change that fundamentally changed the way the game is played. Uh, now, this isn't a problem if you're running something like OSE, or if you're running something like RC or Basic Fantasy. Or With a lot of those, you have like one or two books, or mm -hmm. in the case of OSE, you've got a handful of pamphlet-sized books. Mm -hmm. But with stuff like 5e or Pathfinder or Pathfinder 2e, you've got so many different splat books. And so many different rule supplements and so many different adventures to pull, uh, you know, character concepts and items from. A lot of times the the rules lawyery type of players that have gone over every single book to basically find the most broken character they can possibly create. 
yeah. will sit down at a 5e game and say, well, I've pulled this from Tasha's, I've pulled this from Xanathar's, I pulled this from Sword Coast, and I know like Tasha's makes those other two redundant, so you know that you know Tasha's breaks everything in in fifth edition. I, I've come to believe that very strongly now. But those kinds of players will say, "Well, this book has a D and ampersand and a D on it, so it's official. These are the rules. Why aren't you honoring these rules? Why are you only honoring these rules?" Uh, how do you handle a situation like that? Is that a situation where you just, again, say, I'm the DM, this is how we're playing, you're not doing that at the table? Uh, you know, What would you do in that specific situation? So what I do is, first off, I usually just neuter the, if I'm playing 5th edition, mm-hmm. so that's, I don't I don't play like Pathfinder or anything, or Pathfinder 2e. Those games, if you play Pathfinder or Pathfinder 2e, you have to accept as a DM that the players are going to come with something ungodly yeah. and that's just the way the game is written mm-hmm. um but if i'm playing fifth edition uh no feats um no multi-classing uh because the sub first off the subclasses are already pretty much a multi-class anyway because say if i'm going to be a rogue at third level i can become an arcane trickster tell me that's not a magic user slash thief you know it, what i mean like is, that's yeah. that's already a mul- yeah that's already a multi-class so go ahead and take out multi-classing you take out feats and then also you tell them that we're going to st- stay as strict as possible to the three core books. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you want to have Xanathar's. Xanathar's, I think, is okay. Uh, in my opinion, Xanathar's didn't really add anything that was too broken. They really just kind of helped some stuff. Um, but Tasha's, I, I've never even bought Tasha's. I actually stopped buying 5th edition books after Tomb of Annihilation. Um, I, I largely think that the majority of the books after Xanathar's and Tomb of Annihilation were kind of bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so as a DM, what I say, actually, I just had this come up last Friday. The players are like, isn't there's like more books that you can like use stuff out of? And I'm like, yeah, but we're only going to use the core three. And they're like, okay. And they didn't question it. They're just like, mm-hmm. okay, core three. It is, you know? So I think you have to be upfront about that and just say, this is what is going to be no feats because the feats and the multi-classing and fifth edition are re- where they really start getting busted where mm-hmm. things really start. No variant human because, if you don't have feats, that's already gone. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much it. Like you just say, well, I'm going to stick to the rules as good as I can. And we're going to do these main books. And like you say, if you have rules, cyclopedia, you have one book, mm-hmm. you have OSC, you have, you might just tell them classic fantasy or OSC advanced. And that's, that's pretty much it. But whenever you, whenever you run the campaign, you say, we're going to run it. Rules is written using this one book or whatever, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like for for new players, that's actually makes things a lot easier. If you just say only stick to uh, player's handbook, dungeon master's guide, monster manual. That's you know these are our books for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. For new players, that makes things a whole lot easier because all you have in the you know expanded rules and other splat books is just more options more analysis paralysis for your new players. It it really is a problem with experienced players who know all that stuff is out there, who own all those books. And I feel like, uh, you know, for experienced players who have a problem with, you know, we're, we're going to play an 05R game, so just the, the 2014 books. Mm. It, it really is agree to that or find another table, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. You just say, hey, this is what we're doing, and this is, and then... Honestly, I think 
I think everything post Xanathar's is pretty much. It's. I've already said those books are major bad, but mm-hmm. if you stick to just the 2014 books, you can have a. And you say no feet if you want feats, whatever. But if you say no feats, no multi classes, stick to the 2014 books. You're going to have a much more enjoyable game than you've had with fifth edition for a really long time, honestly. And it, it's kind of the, the joke the running joke between me and Victor is that I used to make fun of him and Greg from, um, Irish Chronicles. Yep. Uh, he, I used to make fun of those guys for being, um, I, I used to call them alt sparkles. <laughs> uh, yeah. I said alt, right. Alt sparkles. Yep. And so it's kind of the joke that like, I'm kind of defending fifth edition now because like I'm running it for the kids. And I've learned that if I take the rule, if I take the structure that I've learned how to, if I, I've learned how to craft the game a certain way, whereas like, I'm not forcing story because I'm not trying to play a storytelling game. I'm mm-hmm. playing a game. I'm not playing a storytelling game. Um, if, if I learn how to play games from playing rules like old school essentials, Hyperborea, and played that rules is written, that's actually a, something I kind of I was getting to earlier. Playing playing Hyperborea rules is written. Playing these other games rules is written. It taught me how to run a game differently. So then, when I went back to fifth edition now, and I'm making these kids play the game not how they see on YouTube, but how. Uh, the game back during the era of Rule Cyclopedia was intended to be played, mm-hmm. and I'm playing it that way now. I, fifth edition is very serviceable. However, the problem with fifth edition that I found is that the game itself, if you start there, it is never going to teach you how to run the game that way. Right. Unfortunately, yeah. it's going to teach you how to run it more like what you see on Critical Role and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to teach you to run it the way that uh, people were taught during the second edition, first edition era. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, Crafty raises a good question, uh, which I have a, uh, a pithy answer to, but I, I do want to hear what your answer is to this. How do you fight the blanket comeback of why are you taking away my agency when you kind of lay down the law of these are the rules we're using at this table? Uh, well, basically that is just more like I'm running the game kind of thing. Like, I don't know, like I'm not, you know, if it, if it comes down to just saying, well, these are the rules that we're playing with. And you're like, well, that's taking away my agency. It's like, well, then you don't, your agency is not to play by the rules. Like, yeah, that's, that's why I hang myself on the rules so much Mm -hmm. is because that's my comeback is like, we're playing by the rules. Like if you have a problem with playing by the rules, that's a you problem, not me problem. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean, I always lean on uh, the door is that way. And, you know, at, at the same time, you know, if I say the door is that way and everyone gets up and walks out the door, then maybe I need to learn uh, how to run my games better. But, you know, usually in, in the situations where, you know, you tell someone this is how we're playing and if you don't like it, you don't have to play in this game, they're the only ones walking away from the table. So... Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, Crafty's been in the chat, so it's really cool. Uh, he's a big uh, read the Dungeon Master's Guide for 5th edition kind of guy. Yeah, There is a lot of rules in the, in the Dungeon Master's Guide that people don't use. A lot of people always talk about like the gritty realism and all that stuff. I don't even think that's necessarily where it's at. I think the big ones uh, should be random encounters, um, morale checks, hirelings, uh, loyalty checks with the hirelings and then making people actually count encumbrance and 
use rations. Um, and all that stuff I just said is just bare bones, old school gaming. And the rules are in the book for fifth edition, but I rarely see, I mean, honestly, this is being just completely honest. 99% of the people I've talked to about fifth edition do not use encumbrance. They could care less about rations after a certain point. They definitely don't have hirelings. Um, anything I just said, they definitely don't do morale checks. They definitely don't do anything like that. Mm-hmm. They don't usually do random encounters. And if they do do random encounters, air quotes, random encounters, it's a, it's a, they'll do a die roll and they'll have a forced encounter where they're like, okay, here is where the Banshee's going to come out and scare the people. And they might, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so everything that I just mentioned though, I use very heavily in my high school D and D game. And it's just been working very well. Like we've had this whole thing where we're where they became the captain of some goblins and they went out and fought some hill giants with the goblins and there's a big rivalry now and the whole thing came about just from random happenstance and the kids love it, so mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, Lou Lou and chat here makes a good point that there's uh kind of agency and suspense exist on a continuum with each other where if you have uh, you know, your players have a bunch of agency. There's not going to be a lot of suspense because they can just kind of opt out of it. Whereas if you have a lot of suspense, a lot of excitement, your players might find themselves in situations where they're kind of helpless to, you know, see what happens. But dealing with, you know, the outcome of this thing that they might otherwise be helpless to stop will create something exciting where, you know... Once their agency comes back, they then have a new circumstance to deal with or something new to overcome. So I, I, I think a lot of players and GMs need to realize that, yes, sometimes your, your players won't have as much agency. You know, I, we've already triggered Max Liao several times over by saying that word so many times, but uh, there, there are going to be times where your your player characters lack agency in the name of... Uh, you know, introducing a new complication to their lives as adventurers. And I think a lot of people just need to embrace that and, you know, embrace the excitement that comes out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of like sidestep of what you were just talking about. But for instance, since I was just mentioning it, mentioning it <laughs> with the goblins and the hill giants, um, the players took over a hill giant cave that only had one hill giant in it and they let it was a it was a lady uh they killed her husband that was like roaming about and they tracked his tracks back to the cave and she come out and she's like i do a reaction roll that's something i also do i do reaction rolls mm-hmm. uh in fifth edition that a lot of people don't do that stuff and the reaction roll came up fairly positive and so what they told to these giant lady they have the helmet of comprehending languages and whatever so what they told to her is that surrender or die and i did a reaction roll and she came up positive so i told them that the lady says that she just wants to get her stuff and then she has a baby inside and some pets and she wants to leave uh so she does that and but got uh hill giants are inherently chaotic evil so what the players do they go in and they Tell the goblins, stay here. We're going to go to town. Well, town is a day away. And also, I need to mention that they had 40 goblins. So it was like a whole army. 
that they happened into. It was actually very cool. Uh, but they say, so you stay here because we know town don't like goblins. They obviously knew that they were monsters. They just happened to be loyal to death out of circumstances that I can't get into today. But they were loyal to death to the players. Yeah. And so they said, stay here. And so the goblins are like, aye, aye, we'll stay here. Instantly leave after telling this hill giant to that they're going to take over her cave. So they leave, they go to a day, and they're doing stuff in the, the city. Well, we play once a week. So during the week, I'm like, I'm going to do some rolls to see what happened while they were away from the cave. So I do some die rolls, and I say, did she go, or chaotic evil, did she go get friends? Did she go get family? And it came up extremely yes. She <laughs> went to go get friends and family. So they, 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 the hill giants came back. And they absolutely massacred the goblins. And I rolled it out, and I did the whole, I have a dice roller on my phone, and there was a ton of dice being rolled. But they absolutely massacred these goblins. And um, some may say that, that took away some player agency. Maybe it wasn't directly toward the characters themselves, but they were definitely a part of the, they were, they were loyal to the players, and they was definitely a big part of what the players thought they were going to be doing in the future. Um, however... They had no say in what happened to the goblins other than they just left them there at the cave because they didn't think that anybody was going to come back and massacre them. Hmm. Um, so some might say that that took away their agency as far as storytelling goes or whatever. They don't get to tell their story exactly how it happened. But stuff just happens sometimes yeah. where the dice fall where they are and they left the goblins in the cave one hour after telling this other hill giant to evacuate. She went and got her friends her hillbilly giant friends and they came back in and just destroyed the place. Um, so anyway, yes, I think, and that, so now, so now they're trying to figure out, do they enact revenge? What do they do? Yada, yada. But see, it put them in a situation much like you're saying after they came back to the other side and they got their agency back. Now they're trying to figure out how do we address the situation where these hill giants obviously just disrespected us. You know, mm -hmm. so, yeah, you're from Appalachia. I'm from adjacent to Appalachia. We know you don't mess with the hill folk. They'll they'll come back with their relatives. Exactly. So exactly. So I did the roll, and then they came back. I mean, and if you've seen the pictures of the hill giants in the monster manual, like good lord, they look like some two a.m. Walmart people. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Crafty actually brings up a, another question here. Uh, the the joke or the meme around kind of the old school community is that it's so difficult to kill players in 5e uh but you've managed to do it several times uh so so what's been your experience in uh killing player characters in 5e has it been uh relatively easy is it easier than people think it is what, what's kind of your your take on that you know my take is actually now that i've i mean we've been running this since fall so i've had some months under my table doing this We've had many character deaths. Actually, I just had a character death last Friday. Um, my take is is that a lot of people probably fudge roles. They mm -hmm. they lean into challenge rating too much to the point where they want a balanced. See, for one thing, I think balance is a false god. Basically, I didn't guess yeah. that 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 whole idea of balance with fifth edition that ruins. Oh, that ruins a lot of stuff and it puts too much pressure on the dm in general that like if the dm feels like he has to balance everything that no wonder all these people are getting burnt out and don't want to dm anymore yeah because the players for one they come to the table with an expectation that this is going to be a winnable fight and i hate to tell you that's what i tell kids i like i do not run things balanced and not you're not supposed to win every fight like it's a fight you're going to lose um 
maybe not every time. Maybe you win nine out of ten times, but you're that one out of ten times. Someone's probably going to get clapped, and you need to know when to leave. Hmm. So for me, I think that player that DMs are listening to XP to level three, and they don't, they don't, they just fudge HP, they fudge dice rolls, they, they, they set up cans, they put up cans in front of the front of the players to to get beat down. They basically pad the players' records. And, and, and to, to relate this back to MMA, they, they're padding the records with a bunch of losers. And um, that's why players don't die in fifth edition is because the DMs have been almost brainwashed into running a game a certain way to to make the players the Avengers. And, you know, this player over here, she's Black Widow and it's the Hulk and whatever. And they all get their moment and they're all superheroes and stuff. And what I've found is that, it, and, and you know, it's not just me, actually. I have, there's two DMs. There's me and another guy. And this other guy, he's always been kind of a softy DM. But he has killed just as many people as I have. Hmm. And that's because we just don't have a DM screen. We play by the rules. And the ki- the kids, they put themselves in situations they shouldn't be in. And they die sometimes. And that just is what it is. Yeah. As long as you're actually playing the game, you're letting them letting the die. Don't, don't have a DM screen because then you're like... That's that's kind of like a hot take. I don't like DM screens, but if you don't have one and you just roll in front of people, they can't they can't fake it. They know they died. You can't. Right. You don't have to look down and look up and be like, I rolled a twenty, and you feel <laughs> so bad telling them and stuff, you know. But no, you just roll in front of them, and they're like, oh, and then they blame the dice. They don't blame you, right? Um, you know, you're just rolling hot today. You're always, you know, that's that's what they end up saying. You always roll hot. Um, so that's my opinion. Is that people are just fudging too much, and they are. They're basically fixing the fights. That's yeah. pretty much what it comes down to. That's my yeah. opinion. Yeah, you you got a lot of a lot of Mike Jacksons and Dennis Seavers on there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, in my opinion, it is hard to kill player characters in Five E. But specifically, it's hard to kill player characters in Five E once you get to level ten and beyond. Yeah. That's oh, when I'm, it's really, you. really hard to kill player characters but before then uh like you said you know it's just a matter of actually challenging them and not worrying so much about balance because balance is stupid so i'm with you actually on that i should i should have mentioned that you know obviously we're on low levels um but the death save mechanics in fifth edition are pretty lenient i mean worst case scenario someone rolls a one and then they you know it's like they it takes two rounds like worst case scenario they they failed one and they roll a one and then they're dead yeah um that's worst case scenario. So at, at bare minimum, they got two rounds of bleed out. And then, you know, sometimes it's like there's so much healing magic in fifth edition as well. It's like so easy just to have someone to do like a healing word or something and boop, they're back up. Um, so most of it's that. I mean, because if you go to like rule cyclopedia, there's two ways to do death in rule cyclopedia. There's death at zero, which is flat out, or you got a death versus uh, save versus death. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wants. And so that's two that you know that's a different way to do things. In first edition, you know you got you go to negative ten, so it doesn't matter if you have thirty health. If you if you're fighting something and you have five health and you get smacked for fifteen, you're dead. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So fifth edition's death save is definitely super forgiving. Uh. But I have found that like if if it is a challenging encounter and it's like a randomly rolled encounter where there's a lot of bodies that 
the players don't have time to like take focus from fighting this one thing off to go heal somebody real quick because there's like three bad guys and there's only three guys left and they're all getting smacked and they don't really have time. So there's been multiple occasions at the low level fifth edition game that I'm playing where everybody at the table is making death saves. Um, and that's a wild moment because I'm just like going around like Oprah, you do a death save, you, you know, and it's just like everybody's doing death saves. So I think that um, at high level, yes, it's ridiculous, but at low level it is very over exaggerated how hard it is to kill fifth edition players. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we, uh, we are kind of running up against the end of our time here. And there's one more question that I have to get the answer to. Uh, from you because everyone gets asked this when they come on rolling bones so uh crossface if you could put anything on a t-shirt what would it be oh man you know this so it's strange i'm wearing my double wrist lock t-shirt right now yeah. one of my friends he's like a third degree black belt that's doing like a double wrist lock suplex um you know something like that <laughs> it's hard because i'm not a t-shirt guy hmm. uh you know what i would probably it would probably be something. This might be a little controversial. I'd probably be something like a Chris Benoit T-shirt because you don't see those anymore. <laughs> Give me a Chris Benoit T-shirt. <laughs> Give me like a toothless aggression T-shirt, and I'm good. <laughs> oh God. Oh, I I can only imagine what like wearing that in public would be because the majority of people, even after everything that happened, the majority of the pe- of people don't would not recognize Chris Benoit's face. Mm-hmm. But you'll have the people that do because of the crimes they committed, or you know the mm-hmm. the, the crime that he committed, and you'll mm-hmm. have the people that do because they're wrestling fans who are also aware of the crime that he committed and the reactions you'll get from those people. <laughs> He's still my favorite wrestler. That's yeah. really it's really him and him and Eddie Guerrero, man. Both mm-hmm. were iconic. So yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I almost want to just like. And not even like put his name on it, just just like the face of Chris Benoit on a T-shirt, and see how people react to it. Yeah, he, I, what I want is kind of like him just doing like some cutthroat, <laughs> and you know, just get the silhouette of like yeah. cutthroat, and yeah, that's what I want. Oh, <laughs> good God! When you go back and like watch, uh, really any any show or pay-per-view or anything that that benoit was was on and you hear the way the commentary talks about him in light of what he ended up doing it's uh, uh unintentionally funny i think is the best way to put it it's it's rough it's hard yeah. i can't really watch the commentary actually that's one thing i can't watch but i can mm-hmm. watch the match it's still he's still very yeah. good he's a heck of a worker mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. Cool. Well, unfortunately, that's, you know, that's it for our time. Uh, I definitely want to bring you back on specifically. Uh, next time you come on here, I want to talk all about Rule Cyclopedia. Uh, yeah, for sure. That's one of your areas of expertise, and I have learned a lot from you uh, specifically posting about it. So, Yeah, I so this, this I mean, I don't know when I'm going to be back on, but this summer specifically, after the club is done, I intend to try to corral some online friends, in real life friends, Mm -hmm. into a Discord where we're going to just, the whole goal for the summer is just to run Rule Cyclopedia as close to rules as written as possible, and just have a big group of people. Mm -hmm. So uh, I might have more, depending on when I'm back on, to talk about Rule Cyclopedia, I might have more to talk about. Um, I haven't got to play it enough yet to really consider myself an expert on it but i have done some deep dives on the on the game itself so yeah for sure i do want to talk about that i i will 
I will be mindful of your schedule as far as playing Rule Cyclopedia to make sure that you have plenty of ammunition for that conversation. Cool deal. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, that's going to do it for Rolling Bones this evening. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was great getting to talk to you actually face to face, not just through Gilded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, you know, I really enjoyed kind of, you know, talking to you about this tonight. Next week, uh, things are going to be a little bit different. Uh, John Page, the composer of my theme music, uh, you know, great musician, great composer, and now comic book writer John Page is going to be on Rolling Bones. We're going to talk a little bit about role-playing games, but really, in particular, we're going to talk about alternate media, uh, creativity, and essentially creating parallel uh, media to that which is popular and, uh, you know, heavily corporatized and stuff like that. So it's going to be kind of an abstract conversation in relation to role-playing games, but we're definitely going to talk about RPGs in that conversation. So next week, John Page and I will be talking about alternate media and creative energy. Hope you guys will join us. And until then, whether you rolled a one or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next time.